Well, good morning, CFC. Glad you're here with us this morning. I'm excited to, to look at the passage that we're going to look at together from 1 Thess 5. So if you have a Bible with you, let me invite you to turn with me to the last chapter of 1 Thessalonians. And we're going to look at a simple verse, verse 17, together. Before we look at this verse, 1 Thess 5, 17, I want us to declare together our declaration regarding the Word of God. We, this morning, said in song, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. And I hope that you met more than just this room, but Holy Spirit, you're welcome here, uh, here to his house. If you have trusted in Jesus, he dwells within you, and you are welcome to speak to me, to lead me, to grow me into Christ-likeness, and that is primarily through the Word of God. So during this series of Excel Still More, we've been making this declaration, which is really an invitation to the Word of God to speak to our hearts. So would you say this with me out loud together with the scripture in hand? This is God's Word, His heart revealed. I humbly declare His ways are higher than my ways, and His thoughts are higher than my thoughts. I will not lean on my own understanding, but incline my heart now to receive his word so that I may excel still more in filling the earth with his glory by walking in his truth and loving all people as he has loved me. So last week from verse 16, we established with two words that simply say this, rejoice always that that is one of the ways in which we fill the earth with God's glory, by rejoicing always, because it's not normal. We don't normally rejoice always. We normally rejoice sometimes and are grumpy other times, right? So let me acknowledge quickly and review this. What comes out of your heart, excuse me, what comes out of your mouth reveals what is in your heart. So when joy comes out of your heart and out of your mouth, that's a reflection of where you are with Jesus. And when grumpy comes out of your mouth, that's a reflection of where you are with Jesus. It is. It, it reveals whether we are living by sight or whether we are living by faith because we will only rejoice always by faith. And so, quick review, we established last week that when we rejoice always, it is because of what we believe, and we defined seven things that we believe. When I rejoice always, I believe something about today. What is it? That this is the day the Lord has made, therefore I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it. It reveals what I believe about myself, that God knows me, sees me, cares for me, and values me, declared by the cross, above all creation. It reveals what I believe about God, that he is good, always good, and only does good. Unless I believe that, I can't rejoice always. It reveals what I believe about trials, because of what the scripture says about trials. Uh, trials are the gift that nobody wants that are absolutely necessary to grow in maturity. I wish we could get to maturity about, without trials, but we won't. So trials are God's gift to grow us up. So we rejoice 
even in the valley, like we declared in song. It reveals what we believe the scripture tells us about our weakness. Paul asks, take away my weakness. You ever ask the Lord to take away your weakness? Paul did three times, and the Lord said, no, thank you. Rather, let me, my strength be made known in your weakness. So Paul determined, I'm going to actually glory and exalt in my weaknesses, because when I am weak, then he is strong. You believe that about your weakness? If not, folks, then you're just going to be normal in your rejoicing. But to rejoice always is to believe what the scripture says about my weakness and what it says about my sin. And it says that my sin has been taken out of the way, having been nailed to the cross with Jesus Christ, that I am crucified with him. And therefore, my sin has been forgiven fully and completely. And my salvation, finally, the seventh, my salvation is not secure because I do good stuff. My salvation is secure because of what has been done for me. So that's real quick. If you want to hear that expanded, you got to go back and listen to last week. But folks, there it is. Rejoice always because of what we believe. And it reveals, really, where you are with Jesus this morning. What's in your heart comes out of your mouth. So second, verse 17, of these six, excel still more in your relationship with Jesus. Pray without ceasing. It's not hard to understand. Pray and don't stop praying. But we're going to have to laugh at ourselves a little bit this morning. Because actually, many of the long-held, long-practiced assumptions by which we engage in prayer run against pray without ceasing. Think about how you pray and think about how prayer fits in your life. And you might go, yeah, I, I can't pray without ceasing and keep those long-standing assumptions. We'll, real quick, just be willing to, to laugh at ourselves here. That as long as I think prayer should be said with my eyes closed, I can't pray without ceasing. I mean, please don't. Either blow up that assumption that you can actually pray with your eyes open or just Please don't pray when you're driving. But weren't you taught as a little child, pray? Hey, why are your eyes open? And you should not only close your eyes, you should bow your head. And how do you get bonus points? On your, see, y'all know, on your knees. Your mama taught you too. If, if God really need God to do something, get on your knees. And if it's really desperate, then they prostrate. Just like Old Testament man. Really? In that kind of, we put that. So just acknowledge, do we still do this? Am I next week, am I saying never bow your head, never close your eyes? No, I am saying that some of our practices navigate against a pray without ceasing. So it's fine to close your eyes, just recognize you can pray with your eyes open. While walking um, and driving, if, if you can multitask. Uh, you ever think the more spiritual you are, the longer you pray? How do you pray so long? I could never pray that long. We do a concert of prayer, you know, an hour of prayer. I wouldn't know what to say. That's so spiritual. Really? 
The goal this morning, so you know, the goal this morning is not for you to pray 10 minutes more a day this week. That is not the goal. The goal is for you to pray every minute of every day this week. If you can't link that one, then the goal is longer prayers. But we tend to think the more spiritual, the longer you are, the longer you pray. And guess what? The earlier you get up. Yes, I get up before dark, on my knees, head bowed, eyes closed. Now, am I mocking those things? No, no. Jesus did these things. But folks, if those boxes, you know what I mean by that? If we live within this box of this is what prayer is, and then we're going to get stuck here and we're never going to excel in prayer by going, I pray without ceasing because I recognize it's not about how early I start or how long I go. And if we're going to pray without ceasing, we have to recognize that prayer, this idea that can't really end until someone says, in Jesus' name. Been there? I've been in those awkward moments. Maybe you've never been there. But in those awkward moments where somebody prays, but they don't know that you're supposed to say at the end, in Jesus' name, they just kind of stop. And everybody's like, you got to say the words. you got to say it. And wait, and are we done? And then finally somebody goes, in Jesus' name. Ah, oh, okay, there we go. Now we're done. Now, again, did Jesus say, pray in his name? Yes, he did. How that turned into, that's the way you end prayers, I have no idea. It's just the way it was always done, and so we all do it. And so when it doesn't happen, we're like, I don't know if that one counted. Can, can, can a prayer count if it's not ended in Jesus' name? It's like stamp of seal of approval in Jesus' name. Okay, can we laugh at ourselves? I'm not, I'm not saying, oh, you prayed in Jesus' name. Ha! That's not what I'm saying. That's biblical. It's the where we put it and how we think of it. It's like hanging up. We don't say goodbye. We say, in Jesus' name, that's Jesus signing off. (laughs) So pray without ceasing. These three little words are going to explode our little box that we've been taught to pray in. And actually, I think, make it into what God really wants for us when we pray. To pray without ceasing brings a whole new mindset. I want to express it in four ways, and we'll look at it from the mouth of Jesus. First, to to pray without ceasing is this new mindset of it's not a religious activity. That's what I used to do with my eyes closed, you know, only with my eyes closed, only on my knees, only early in the morning. It, It moves from a religious activity that I check a box, and it becomes this relational experience. Prayer is intended to be a relational experience experience. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. Because Jesus is teaching his disciples about how he wants them to function in terms of growing the kingdom of God. And he says to them, here's how to pray. And I am fascinated as a teaching pastor that Jesus actually never taught the apostles that we know of to teach or to preach. But he did teach them how to pray. Think about that. Because we, we value preaching often more than praying in the church, but Jesus taught to do one and not the other. So just to right-size things for me and for the rest of us. Jesus taught to pray. Here's what he taught to pray. Matthew chapter, did I say chapter 7? Good, because chapter 6 is where I want you to go. Chapter 6. <clears throat> chapter 6, 
Here's what he says. Verse 7 and 8. When you're praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do. For they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. Doesn't that crack you up? The very assumption that we often function that the longer the prayer, the more spiritual. Jesus says, geez, could you cut them a little shorter, please? No. The value is not in the length, is what Jesus says. And so this whole idea, hey, pray this prayer 15 times in the coming week. Sorry, but Jesus said, don't do that. Pray this prayer 40 times. Just say it over and over and over again. Jesus said, don't do that. Uh, do not be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. Have you ever wrestled with that one? Uh, maybe you've said something like this. Father, you know, today I need, well, you know I need, you know it. And so you're like, why am I telling you? You ever ask yourself that question? If he already knows what you need, he already knows what's going to happen. Why are we talking about this? You already know. So verse 9 says, therefore, you need not pray. No, that's not what it says. I just made that up. It doesn't say you need not pray. It says that the, your father knows what you need, so you're not like informing him. That's not we, why we pray. The Lord is not in heaven going, oh, good to know. <laughs> he knows what you need, but pray this way. Our father who is in heaven. Now Watch. Because what is prayer? Not a religious activity, but a relational experience. Watch the relational experience here. Our Father, who's in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. See, he's Jesus, so he didn't have to say in Jesus' name. He just says amen. <laughs> and so what have we done? Well, lots of people go, oh, this is the Lord's Prayer. Let's memorize it and let's repeat it. <laughs> Which is the very thing he said is not the point of the prayer. So what is the point? If it's not a prayer to just meaninglessly repeat, what is the point of what he says, pray like this? Well, if you look at it, and we're going to come back and, and look at it for a few moments here, it actually is a prayer that simply defines this, who he is and who I am. That's what this prayer is about. It's about who he is and who I am. Our Father who is in heaven... He's in heaven. Who am I? Uh, I'm on earth. Think about this. Prayer is simply a relational experience between those on earth and the one who is in heaven. Hallowed be your name. The one who in heaven is holy. Lead us not into temptation. And I'm unholy. Prayer is this relational experience between a person who is unholy on earth and a holy one who is in heaven. You see, you get a different feel here? Your kingdom 
If it's his kingdom, that makes him who in the kingdom? The king. He's the king. Uh, somebody told me one time, this really helped me. He said, if you just want to understand the kingdom, all you have to do is write the word out kingdom and then put a slash after king. And it'll define he's the king and you're the... Yeah, some of you got it. Yeah, there you go. That, that's it. He's the king and we are the needy subject. What do we need? Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses. Lead us not into temptation. We need physical, we need spiritual, we need relational. Every day. Oh, don't miss this. Everything that Jesus wants us to capture about prayer is about understanding who he is, holy king in heaven, who we are, needy, unholy subject on earth, transformed by what relationship? How's it start? Our Father. See, you don't appreciate that. I don't appreciate this. This would have blown the minds of the hearers who had only known you address Lord God Almighty, God, Lord. You just, just read your Old Testament prayers, and what you won't find is anybody going, Father, what Jesus is opening to us is this reality that this is true about me and this is true about him. But what connects it is that he is father and I am child. And that makes prayer what it is intended to be, a relational experience. Not just a king and a needy subject, but a dad and a son. That changes everything. Give you an example. Turn one page later, Matthew 7. Jesus says, here's how, here's how the father-child relationship changes it. Matthew 7, verse 9. What man is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he'll not give him a snake, will he? Why not? Because he's, he's dad. That's not what dads do to their sons when they ask. Now, Jesus' point is this. If you then, being evil, unholy, you know, that's who you are, know how to give good gifts to your children, can you say this? How much more? Say that again. How much more? You capture this? How much more will your father, the one who is king of kings, the one who is perfect and holy in heaven, how much will he Give what is good. Because remember from last week, he is good and he only does good. How much more will your father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? You see the difference? There is a role. Jesus is not going, hey, memorize this prayer and just repeat it. He's gone. Here's what prayer is. It's to know who you are and who I am. And the 
relationship that you have as my child with me as your father. So how will we excel in prayer? Yeah, I'm going to give you an opportunity to write a full sentence here if you want it, but more important, capture it than just write it down. I will excel in prayer when I rightly see myself as the beloved child of the benevolent king of kings. That, cha- that, that transforms prayer. When I go, I am the beloved child. He's my dad. And he really, he's better than my dad's a fireman. My dad's a policeman. My dad's Lord God Almighty. <laughs> And he loves me. And he invites me to speak to him. This this takes this whole idea of religious activity and will transform prayer into a relational experience. But watch. The problem is... Some of you are still writing. That's the problem right now. problem is this. We often say things like this. Oh, I know I should pray more. You ever thought that? I, should, I, I know I should pray more. I know I don't pray enough. I know I should pray longer. What in, what in the world does that even mean? That I'm supposed to, but I don't. Why am I supposed to and why don't I? Why is prayer like eating your vegetables and exercise? Because prayer gets dumped in the bucket of diet and exercise. We know we should do it. We just don't really want to. Why is prayer that way? And so why do most sermons end with, so get up a little bit earlier tomorrow morning and pray a little bit longer? I'll tell you why. Because we have made it something to do versus a relationship to live out. Prayer is a relationship lived out between a beloved child and a benevolent king of kings. And when, here's the flip, here's the flip. Don't get lost in writing all this stuff. Here's the flip. Prayer will be absent, or at best, a duty if I have an elevated view of self or a distant view of God. See, it's, it, it breaks down. It malfunctions when I think things like this. Lord, tomorrow, tomorrow is just going to be a bear. I, I'm not sure I'm going to get through it. I need your help tomorrow. Today, I'll be all right. Tomorrow... I need your help. Do you pray? Do you not pray some days like you don't other days? What's, where's that come from? I hate to tell you this, but that comes from this. Today I got it. Tomorrow I need you. And let's just, let's just admit, that's a foolish, elevated view of self. But we live lives that... We seek to be independent from God until we go, okay, I need you on this one. See, really, 
it would be meaningless repetition for almost everybody in this second hour to go, uh, give us this day our daily bread. Because your pantry's full, as is the money to buy what you don't have. Uh, but this is a, an important reminder. You know what uh, the Bible says about your, our money? It can take wings and fly right away. Like it flew to you, it can fly right away. You have what you have. I have what I have. More food in my pantry for today and tomorrow and for the rest of the week. I have that. Not because I don't need the Lord, but because the Lord has given it to me. And we'll see next week. The Lord gives and the Lord, the Lord. Don't blame it on the devil. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. So any day that I think, I don't need to pray because nothing's really big today. You ever say that in your prayer group or a small group? Anybody got like a big need? Well, let me think. Is it big enough that we should pray about it? It's just an elevated view of self that makes prayer a discipline or a duty or a distant view of God. See, sometimes I need the Lord, and so I cry out, and I cry out, and cry out, and it just seems like God's going to do what God's going to do, and it doesn't seem like my prayers make a difference. I ask him, nothing happened. It is what it is. I'm not saying God doesn't exist. I believe he exists. It just seems like he's pretty far. So I know I'm supposed to pray, but I'm supposed to pray because you're supposed to pray, and the Bible says to pray, and so I'm going to pray. But I don't really pray because I think a benevolent king is working. I just pray as a discipline. I eat my veggies, go for a run, and say my prayers. Way to go. That's, it is so unfortunate that we, we throw prayer into a discipline, dutiful bucket. It's meant to be a religious, excuse me, it's meant to be a relational experience. So, I don't know where you see yourself in these statements. If you would go, my prayer is rooted in how I see God or my prayer is rooted in how I see myself. But something's amiss. Because it's, it's the greatest invitation Jesus could have ever given to us. And yet somehow, we should do it more. <laughs> if we knew what it was, that would never come from our lips. But it does. And those are revealers of where my heart is. It's a relational experience. When I capture that, then, second new mindset is that talking to God at select moments, like when I get up in the morning or before we eat, these select moments and occasions become a continual conversation of speaking and listening. Pray without ceasing. See, that's a continual and not so much, and I try to get this out of my own language, not because the words are wrong, because it communicates. I try not to say, Lord, we come into your presence, because what does that communicate? I've been out, but I'm back. 
better, better, more theologically accurate and better for my heart to say, Lord, I pause in your presence. In other words, we've been, I pause to speak. I pause to listen. Now, now the next time somebody goes, Lord, we come into your presence, don't go, sinners, you got to listen to the sermon, man. Just think more carefully. I try to, but we have old habits that keep us in this prayer mentality that pray without ceasing says, let's, let's from when we get up in the morning till we fall asleep at night, let's have a running conversation with God, which is not the, Lord, today is going to be a big one, and I got these things that I need today, and so please, please, pretty please help. Amen. And then you begin your day. It's the constant, continual conversation of not only speaking, but listening. Now, don't get weirded out. The Lord will never speak to you something contrary to what he has spoken through the written word. But let's not then get so narrow that we miss the fact that the Spirit of God would prompt you, would bring back to Scripture, would prompt you to go, go speak to that person. Or, hey, why not help them out? Or, hey, turn around. That you would live in a constant, continual conversation of speaking and listening. You know the book near the end of the New Testament called Hebrews? You know why it's called Hebrews? It's not a coffee shop. Why was it called Hebrews? Because it was written to Hebrews. It was written to Israelites, which why so many of us as Gentiles go, huh? Huh? Because it's steeped in a religious tradition that the Hebrews knew inside and out, and we don't know it. So he's explaining the substance that the shadow stood for, and we're like, I didn't know the shadow. (laughs) But what they understood about the presence of God was this, that the presence of God dwelt within the Holy of Holies in the temple. And it was only accessed one day a year by one man, the high priest who would go in in behalf of all the people and seek atonement for the sins, not only of his, but for all the nation. And then that high priest would then, on the day of atonement, exit the Holy of Holies until next year. And then Jesus comes as the great high priest, the one who is without sin. And when he is nailed to a cross and takes the sin, not of some people for that year, but for all people for all time, when he takes the sin of all people for all time on the cross and he declares from the cross, It is finished and breathes his last. The scripture says that the veil in the temple that separated the presence of God in the Holy of Holies to the rest of mankind was torn from top to bottom. 
so that the access to God was no longer reserved for one man for one day a year, but for all people at any time in any circumstance. That is why Hebrews says, for we do not have a high priest, speaking of Jesus, who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. So he knows us, he's seen us, he's been us, And he has conquered the grave and sin and death. And he says, therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need, which is, as we've established, all the time. Because I am a needy subject who has become the beloved child of the king of kings, who says, just ask me. Just talk to me. See, the, the great thing about being his son is you don't go, hey, can we get a meeting like next Thursday at 2 for 45 minutes? You set dad and son right here in the front row. You just go, hey, dad, can I ask you a question? That's the picture. Pray without ceasing. Live in relationship with one another. That doesn't schedule appointments. Does he make you get on your knees when you talk to him? Okay, that's good. Oh, that'd be weird. Dad, do I have to take out the trash? That'd be weird. But somehow we've... And again... Don't misunderstand. There's times to get on our knees. Jesus stayed up all night. I'm not saying I'm saying it's just more than that. Because of what Christ has done on the cross. So a reminder to you. Prayer begins with the father-son relationship. If you've never trusted in Jesus, you can't engage in what prayer is for because you have to be a child of the king to engage in prayer. I hear unbelievers say all the time, oh, I pray, I pray, and I, I think, well, that's not doing anything. Prayer is for the child of God. And then the children of God are going, I know, I'd have talked to dad more. Weird. We got to blow up that box. Because what Jesus has done for us is he has taken the throne room and he has made it mobile. (laughs) Not a place to go, but a person to connect with. He's made it mobile. So just think, has this changed your life? I mean, the older you are, the young people are going, no, I didn't change my life at all. Uh, Has this changed your life? Amazing. Just, can I get, crab an antique here? <laughs> Most of us don't even have these in our home anymore. Jackie and I, for a couple years, had one, and then we we're like, why? Well, because you've got to have a home phone. Mm, why? I don't know. <laughs> but, man, it was like, 
think, for those of you who've never seen this, an antique, that used to be a phone call, you'd hear it and you'd have to go to a particular room and then talk like this and then they'd say, hey, can you check on something? Uh, I'll be right back. And then, uh, yeah, I just check. This, this cord. And then we went cordless. You could like walk around your house and lose your phone so you couldn't find it when people called. You buy four of them in a box so they'd be in every place. But this has changed our world. And my point is simply this. Jesus turned prayer from this to this. And most of us were taught as children and continue the practice of prayer like this. And no offense, but we're a bunch of old people going... I don't want to figure that out. I'll just do this. And wow, are we missing out. Can I ask you, what's prayer look like in your life? You got some of this? Maybe, you're, maybe you've progressed to cordless. But you don't have a phone that yet, and you can go, hey, Jesus. Not hey, Siri, but hey, Jesus. It's an invitation to a relationship where you talk, you listen. You always live in need, and so therefore, you always stay on the line. You don't have to say, Lord, uh, before... I begin the day today, I just want to say, please help me today, and please guide me, and uh, I love you. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> then we leave for our day. But to be able to go, really, on your way to work, Lord, you know what the day holds. I don't even know what today holds. But I want to engage with you and I want to walk with you today. And then to walk into a meeting as you're walking in, going, Lord, I want to represent you in this meeting, the conversation. In the meeting, you're going, Lord, how do you want me to respond here? What would love look like? What would truth spoken in grace look like right now? You're saying that in a meeting, asking the Lord to guide you. You have to run, make a phone call. You see the difference? See, it's not, again, uh, it's not that we don't get on our knees ever. Or like Jesus, we spend a whole night in prayer. It's that we don't limit it to that. We engage in relationships so that the ultimate expression is this, that the critical elements of prayer, they become the attitude through which I engage all of life. The critical elements of prayer become the attitude through which I engage all of life. Now, when I say the critical elements of prayer, some of you have grown up, well, when you pray, pray like this. Adoration, confession, then thanksgiving, then supplication. And that's fine. But why not live life instead of prayer like that? Prayer time, like live life. Like morning, afternoon, Except I like actually better than acts. 
pray. Praise, repentance, asking, yielding. That one makes more sense to me. But the point is not, it's not the order that you do it. My point is this, that they become the attitude through which I engage life. Praise, it's not just how I begin my prayer. It's not only reserved for my prayer because what did verse 16 just last week, what did it just say? Rejoice always. So in other words, all this where I just pray and begin my prayer with praise and I maybe sing a song when I'm at church or or two, but then I don't praise. I live a life of praise and I live a life of repentance because all throughout the day, Lord, I thought too highly of myself. Oh, Lord, I've thought too lowly of you. Oh, Lord, I was at a life of repentance, not like stack it all up and then run to our room, get on my knees the next morning and go, Lord, for everything yesterday, big, big sorry. But the confession, the repentance, as soon as it happens, the ask, as soon as the need, the constant yielding, Lord, this is your body. You purchased it. I belong to you. You're my dad. I'm your child. I'm yours, whatever you want. Throughout the day, not just something I call in and report in and then go, but that I live in my pocket. Constant praise, constant repentance, constant asking, constant yielding. So what's that look like? It may look like this tomorrow morning when you jump in your car, instead of turning on your radio, you go, Lord, Let's have a conversation as I drive. You're going, I have a long drive. I have no idea what I'd say. You don't have to fill the time. And a guy say to me, I, I don't know. Uh, just last hour, I don't know. You know, I get up in the morning and I shave. How do I pray when I'm shaving? Because I can't really talk when I'm shaving. And I was like, well, you could before you start shaving say, Lord, I invite your spirit to speak to my heart as I shave. And now I'm listening as I'm shaving. Oh, I'm sitting at the computer screen. I, I can't multitask very well. I was like, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Please don't think I said sit at your computer screen wasting your employer's time while you talk out loud to God. <laughs> but to live in an attitude while you're working of, Lord, I love this job. I love my boss right now. I love him. Because there's probably other things you're feeling at that. And so there's that attitude of, you see what I'm saying? It's an attitude of praise, repentance. I'm sorry for that lousy attitude by which I have engaged today. I'm not talking a stop doing everything else you do in life and walk around talking to God out loud. It's an attitude by which you don't leave the presence of God. You live in the presence of God with all those elements that you would when you were taught. See, the value in teaching those things of praise, repentance, asking, yielding, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and stuff like that from prayer was that they would spill over to be all of your life and not just in a 15-minute moment in your day. 
pray without ceasing. So Matt Collins sent me a really sweet text yesterday saying, because he was, of course, here Thursday night. And then he had to drive to Charlotte yesterday. And he said, so grateful for your encouragement. Uh, I would have normally just listened to the radio music the whole way. And instead, I didn't turn it on. And I had a whole drive from Jacksonville to Charlotte. Unbelievable conversation with the Lord. Some sweet moments where he ministered to my heart. Just talking to God. So do something different this week. Like talk out loud to God maybe. Or pray with your eyes open. Like I did last week. And I prayed with my eyes open as I was looking at you. And you're like, this is like, is he praying? I don't know what's going on right now. Make your conversation continual. That you would represent. This is a relationship, not a religious activity. So, Lord, would in the coming week we think differently and see those moments where the boxes we've lived in have kept us from really experiencing relationship with you. Would I be more quick to praise and more quick to repent? And Lord, recognize my need all the time, not just when I feel it. And would, Lord, you use this body, would you use this body, Lord, to be your instruments for more people finding more life in Jesus? Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely and may your spirit soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ you're praying with your eyes open and you didn't finish in Jesus' name. <laughs> See, we've been practicing for 10 weeks. You just didn't know it. <laughs> now, seriously, let's live in relationship with the God of peace himself. God bless.